What is good? Welcome to the Always Gaining Podcast. My name is Austin Goodwin. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you're here to learn about lifting, nutrition, habit building, or productivity, you are in the right place. If not, stick around. You still might learn something worthwhile. If you like the podcast, please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you are listening to. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Always Gaining Podcast, episode number five. I'm your host, Austin Goodwin. First of all, thanks to everyone who wished me a happy birthday last week. I had a good week, and I hope you did too. And I want to start off this podcast with a disclaimer. If my voice sounds a little bit raspy, a little bit deeper, I'm kind of fighting a little sickness right now. We're all good, though. We're going to do the best we can with this podcast. Today, we've got a heavy one. We get to dive into a topic that I'm asked about most often on my Instagram, dieting. Your diet, the idea of dieting, dieting fads, what a diet actually is. Everyone has a different approach and idea of what a diet is. And in this podcast, I want to give you the raw truth that they don't teach you about in school and that Becky the Instagram influencer fails to tell you when she's teaching you about booty bands. If you're where I'm from, which is Backwoods, Alabama, you grew up around people whose diets are composed of sweet tea at every meal and at least one fried food a day, because you know, balance. But you don't just have to be from the deep south to miss out on quality food education when you're growing up. What's our number one exposure to dieting habits? It's our parents, the people who raise us and provide for us. That's what we're exposed to early on in life when it comes to our diets. And unless your parents were just absolutely on top of their food education, and let me tell you, mine weren't, then you probably didn't learn the best food habits as a kid. And if you did, that's great. Good job. But there is a great likelihood that we mirror whatever dieting habits our parents have. And unless we have an educational influence in nutrition or just a family with good nutritional sense, it's very difficult to learn on our own what constitutes a healthy diet. I got into dieting, of course, because of fitness. When I started in the gym, everybody, every gym bro always told me, you know, abs are made in the kitchen. And that was the mindset. I'm like, okay, abs are made in the kitchen, but what does that really mean? And I had read food labels as a kid and kind of had an idea of what foods contain, but That was really about it. I was always a skinny kid and never had any issues with overeating. I never struggled with obesity or gaining weight in any capacity. So dieting, in the sense that most people know it in, was never really a big deal to me. But I also had no idea what kind of diet I needed to maximize my goals and my chance of success in having the body that I wanted once I started working out. And it's taken me a good seven years of doing this whole fitness thing to come to a place to where I have a diet that I want to keep for the rest of my life. My goal for this podcast is to give you a base understanding of calories and macronutrients if you don't have one, as well as explain what each macronutrient is important for. Then we'll go over why calories are the foundation of all the dieting approaches And we'll get into my take on the fad diets that consume all the tabloid magazines and our social media. So, let's get into it. 
And I want to start number one with calories. To understand dieting or really anything, you want to start with the basics because really when you keep dieting simple, that's when it's easiest to execute and understand. Calories are king. And if you've been around any kind of fitness people, they will tell you that at least if they know anything. Without understanding what you're doing with your calories, it's like trying to build a house without a foundation. Calories are the foundation of any diet approach, or at least I believe they should be. Now, of course, the calorie composition of any food is derived from macronutrients or macros. You'll hear me use both terms, but know that I'm talking about the macronutrients. And there are four macronutrients in total. These are essentially the varieties of what any food is comprised of. And for this discussion, we'll talk about the three that really demand your focus. Protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Now, each macronutrient has a particular calorie breakdown. And these are pretty simple. The math on these is simple. Protein is 4 calories per gram. Carbs, carbohydrates, are also 4 calories per gram. And fats are 9 calories per gram. And these numbers may not mean anything to you right now, but there's more to come on why this is important later. So why are the macronutrients important to know and what's up with your calories? Your macronutrient balances and your calorie intake will ultimately affect your body composition, your hunger levels, your mood, and just about everything in between, including your energy. A high-carbohydrate diet that has you in a calorie surplus will make you look and feel much different than a low-carb diet where you're in a calorie deficit. Now, I'm talking about surpluses here and deficits, and most of you understand, most likely, what calories are. But what do I mean by a surplus or a deficit? And it all begins with the idea of a caloric maintenance. Your calorie maintenance is the number of calories that you must eat over a sustained period of time, days, weeks, however you want to measure it, to maintain your current weight. That's why it's called maintenance. From deductive reasoning, you can understand that a caloric surplus is a stage where you're eating more calories than your maintenance, which causes you to gain weight over a period of time. And by that reasoning, a calorie deficit is a stage where you're eating fewer calories than your calorie maintenance, which can cause you to lose weight over a sustained period of time. And I say a sustained period of time because we're always going to have weight fluctuations in the short term. You can be in a caloric deficit and still gain weight over the course of two days, but maybe in the course of two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you lose weight. So... Just general disclaimer here, it's never smart to judge what's going on with your weight based on a one or two day difference because there are unlimited factors that can really affect that. But I don't want to get into the deep discussion of weighing yourself. Let's just stay focused on calories right now. Now, what are the benefits of being in a calorie surplus versus a calorie deficit or even a maintenance? So we'll start with the surplus. A calorie surplus is the prime environment for your body to build muscle mass. Of course, if you're eating more calories than you need to maintain, it's also an environment where you're going to gain some percentage of body fat too, not just muscle mass. That's why you'll hear many lifters talk about being in a bulk or a cut. The bulk, the calorie surplus, is to build muscle. 
while the cut, the calorie deficit, is to lose body fat. The major con to a calorie deficit is you're physically making your body eat fewer calories than needed to maintain its current composition. Your body doesn't want to change, and we are bioengineered to perform optimally with whatever it is we're consuming, which is great for survival, but when you start eating less, your energy can decrease, and you can also lose muscle mass if your protein isn't high enough. So enough about calories right now. I spoke about macros earlier. So let's get into more detail about what these macronutrients do for us. And each macro has a purpose. Let's start with carbohydrates because these are the most debated macronutrient that is out there. Carbohydrates are the main fuel source for your body and by proportion are likely the largest source of your calories. Most people's diets are 40 to 60% carbohydrates. Carbs are found in foods composed of sugars, starches, and fibers. So bread, fruit, pasta, rice, beans, potatoes, cereal, aka a lot of foods. And they prevent protein from being broken down as an energy source and help promote the use of fat as energy. Next we have proteins, and proteins are the blocks for building muscle mass made up of amino acid chains that, when they're broken down, help with metabolism. Protein intake is critical for maintaining existing muscle mass, supporting your immune system, and staving off hunger. This can also help you keep slimmer as a result because you're less hungry. Protein is found in foods like red meat, fish, poultry, beans, eggs, dairy, soy products, as well as trace amounts in nuts and seeds. It's generally recommended that the average person eats 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal, although higher protein diets are well-researched as non-harmful and providing greater benefits. And we'll touch on how much protein you should be eating later on, but I want to get into fats as the third macronutrient that we're going to talk about. Fats serve as an energy reserve for our bodies and help with vitamin absorptions, and of course, as you know from being a kid, vitamins are critical for many of our bodily functions. Our bodies use carbs for energy, and then they use fat. Dietary fat, however, does not add fat to your body. And that's one of the most common misconceptions about eating fats. Oh, if I eat fat, I'm going to get fat. That's not how it happens. Eating in a calorie surplus is what causes additional body fat, not eating fat. Now, fats can be broken down into saturated fat, like those found in butter, highly processed oils, cheese, lard, and then unsaturated fats, which can be found in avocados, nuts, seeds, fish, some less processed oils like olive oil, and then there's trans fats. So we have saturated fats, unsaturated fats, and trans fats. Trans fats are generally banned in most places, and we won't really concern ourselves with these because they're just generally bad news for your heart health. Saturated fats should typically be limited versus unsaturated fats, as saturated fats can raise your LDL cholesterol, which is your bad cholesterol, and a high LDL puts you at a greater risk for heart disease. Unsaturated fats can help you raise your HDL cholesterol, your good cholesterol, and many sources of unsaturated fats like olive oil, also have additional benefits like being an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory, so on and so forth. 
So now that we understand the three main macros and the essentials of calorie intakes, we can go more in depth on these subjects. And one last takeaway though, in a general essence, carbs don't make you fat. Fats don't make you fat. There is no one single macronutrient that is necessarily bad or good for your diet. Do these macros affect how you feel, your long-term health, and your body composition? Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, and every day until we can biohack our bodies or do something to completely customize our bodies, calories are king. If you eat in a surplus, you will eventually gain fat. If you eat in a deficit, you will eventually lose fat. That's the commonly accepted truth, and in my experience and everybody else's experience with this, that is the truth. Again, with the talk about calorie deficits, calorie surpluses, let's talk about how to find your calorie maintenance. You can find your maintenance through three steps. Weighing yourself daily, preferably in the morning after you use the restroom, so it's the same time every single day. Then eating the same or close to the same amount of calories for a sustained period of time. And then seeing what your weight does. Which way does it trend? So you eat the same amount and you weigh yourself at the same time every single day. If your weight trends up over time while you eat the same amount of calories, you're in a surplus. And from this point, you can incrementally decrease your calories, eating less calories for a sustained period of time until your weight stays constant over a period of time. It's a lot of periods of time, but it takes time to figure this stuff out. Once you figure out your calorie range for yourself and your weight, in other words, your calorie maintenance where you're not gaining any weight, then you can create macro splits appropriately. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty on some of the diets you've probably already heard about or you've even tried yourself. And since we're getting into the diet types, let me just say that Americans love some diets with some fancy names. The Paleo Diet, Atkins, Keto, all a bunch of diets that give people absolutely no indication what type of diet it is. This is how most people start their diets. Their friend or the internet tells them to try it because it promises immediate results and then they get a partial understanding of how that diet works and they halfway apply it to what they're doing and they either see results or they don't. I'm here to teach you more about these diets, why they work for some people, and my personal take on each diet itself. And number one on the list, I can't start off a diet discussion without talking about keto first and foremost. Keto, the ketogenic diet, is about extremely limiting your carbs and replacing the majority of your carbs with fats and protein to put your body in a state called ketosis. And in ketosis, this is a deprivation reaction where your body becomes incredibly powerful at burning fat for energy. And theoretically, it's supposed to help you burn your own body fat for energy, thus lowering your body fat percentage. And people claim that the diet is super filling because it's so fat heavy, but this comes at a sacrifice of eating almost no carbs. No fruit, bread, pasta, some vegetables, starches, alcohol, almost every other carb in moderate quantity will quote, throw you out of ketosis. Here's my take on keto, and if you followed me at all, you know I'm not about this diet. I really don't like this diet for myself. It has been the biggest fad diet of the past two or three years, and People say it works for them, but I've never met a keto person that could sustain the diet for real results. Why do people lose weight on keto so quickly? And why do people think that this automatically makes the diet 
work for them because it basically kills all the carbohydrate volume in your muscles. When you eat carbohydrates, your muscles soak up these carbohydrates and these carbohydrates in turn hold nutrients. They hold water in your muscles. This water weight, as we like to call it, is what is initially lost in the keto diet. So people can lose 10, 15 pounds of water weight at most, and they think it's a miracle diet, when really it's weight they lose and not body fat. And the aim of eating in a caloric deficit is to decrease body fat, not necessarily decrease your weight, which is just a number. And then it sucks for them because they lose that 10 to 15 pounds initially. They're like, oh my gosh, this is great. 10 to 15 pounds, we're going to keep going. And then they don't lose any more weight because they've lost all their water weight. And then they get really fatigued. Why? Because when you cut one macronutrient completely out of your body, your body doesn't like that. It's a deprivation diet. And eventually, you're going to miss carbs because carbs are delicious. In reality, most people can't sustain a diet like this and actually get into ketosis because they can't go for the period of time to cut carbs and actually get into ketosis. Now, I want to say that keto has been shown to work as a treatment for people who have epilepsy, who suffer from seizures. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a person who specializes in medical treatment. If the diet is quite literally helping people stop seizures and saving someone's quality of life, then absolutely they should go for it or try it out. I'm not arguing against that. What I'm arguing for is the practicality of this diet for most people. Why am I critical? Because the diet is just too extreme. And the prime way to lose body fat, not weight, body fat, is being in a calorie deficit, not depriving yourself. But if it works for you and it sounds right for you, give it a shot. I'll be eating my pizza. Now the second diet that I want to talk about is similar to keto, but different in principle. And it's the paleo diet. It's like keto, but without the ketosis part. One of the main elements of this diet is you eliminate all sugar intake minus fruits. You eliminate grains, processed foods, oh, and you eliminate dairy too. Paleo is named after the Paleolithic era, which is the time frame that began 10,000 years ago and goes back 2.5 million years. Basically, humans before humans are humans like they are now. The idea is that you eat what people ate way back then, because theoretically that's what our bodies are designed and programmed to do. And the idea is that our bodies have an advance to the diet that we subject ourselves to now, and it's more, quote, natural to eat those foods. So you eat protein, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, really gamey, grass-fed type of meats, fatty fish, oils from fruits and nuts, that kind of stuff. Just, if a caveman would eat it, you eat it too. Here's my take on this diet. If you haven't noticed by now, I hate diets that tell you that you can't have any one type of food. But I think paleo is a little bit more reasonable than keto because reducing processed sugars in foods is typically a good move, I would say, but completely eliminating one food source from your body isn't. It's very, very hard to remove almost all the modern carbohydrates from your body, and it honestly sucks for me personally. Calories are still king, and if something like paleo works for you, again, go for it. But I'm going to eat my pizza over here in the year 2020. This next diet is one that I'm sure you're all familiar with. It's the vegan diet. 
and this diet isn't as confusing as people make it. It eliminates meats and animal products. So no meat, no dairy. And I think the number one reason for people choosing this diet isn't just because they think it's healthier, but it's often a personal affliction with the death or the use of animals in any way. Also, vegan is often low in saturated fats and protein as a result. And here's my take on this. I, I don't rag on vegans like I used to, especially as vegan protein sources are becoming more readily available. I do not think that the vegan diet is superior to a diet with meat in it. Is it great to eat more vegetables and reduce your dairy intake in terms of fat loss and your overall health? Yes, I can agree with that. I think that's common sense. I do not support the vegans who try to attack non-vegans for their lifestyle choices. Again, your diet, your choice. If you're doing vegan dieting for a personal affliction or if you don't like meat, you do you. This isn't my territory of dieting. I don't have any experience with it, so I'm not going to speak against it. People have their motives for eating the way they do, and I can completely respect that. But again, it's not for me. This fourth diet isn't necessarily a diet, but it's more of a approach. Carb cycling. And carb cycling isn't so much about not eating this or that, but how much of this or that that you eat. The idea is that you cycle between days of higher carbs and lower carbs. This is to help you consume less calories in a sustainable manner while still enjoying your favorite foods. One day you might eat 250 grams of carbs, and the next day you might only eat 150 grams. And that 100 gram difference in carbs can save 400 calories from your diet before you even consider fat or protein. And 400 calories can be the difference between a calorie maintenance and a calorie deficit. And here's my take on carb cycling. Now, I've done carb cycling as part of a cutting fat routine before, and I think it's a great way to diet without getting sick of dieting. I keep my protein constant no matter what, and I typically don't change my fat intake too much. So my carb intake is what I can really play with in terms of my calories. Of all the diets I've talked about so far, I would definitely give this one a try. There are ample amounts of carb cycling routines that you can Google and look at. It doesn't matter if you're trying to gain weight, lose weight, maintain weight. I think carb cycling has a place for everyone, especially if you're working out three or four days a week. Because carbs aren't so much for me, oh, I, I want to eat less carbs or more carbs. I try to structure my carbs around my training. So if you're working out three or four days a week, then you can structure your high-carb days to land on the days that you're training. And this will help you optimize your training, but also keep your calories low throughout the week. So again, if you're just getting into dieting and you're wanting to experiment with your calories, I think carb cycling is a good introductory method just to get you used to changing up your calories. The fifth diet I want to talk about has been one that's been touted by so many different personalities. It's called intermittent fasting, IF. The idea behind intermittent fasting is to fast for a certain period of time in the day before you can eat. Most people create an eating period of about 6 to 8 hours, so you would typically fast for roughly 8 to 10 hours before you begin eating, not including your sleep. And these numbers can change, but I think this is pretty typical from everyone I've seen that has done intermittent fasting. So theoretically, someone would wake up around 6 to 8 a.m., 
maybe have some coffee and then not eat until 2 p.m. ish. The intermittent and the fasting means only for a certain period. So you're not sitting around starving yourself all day, not eating for the entire day. You're only doing it for an intermittent time. Fasting has many supposed benefits. I can't really fact check any of them because I think it's all placebo. Many historical figures have famously fasted. Buddha, Gandhi, Joe Rogan, your Aunt Cheryl. (laughs) But jokes aside, fasting is familiar to many people. I think intermittent fasting works best, but only under several conditions. And condition number one, the most important one to me, is that you already have a relationship that's healthy with food and you don't suffer from binging or anorexia or just having a poor relationship with food in general. Condition number two is you don't like to eat or you don't have time to eat early in the morning. If you're a breakfast hater, this might be for you, but... I don't necessarily agree with that, whatever, but if you're this type of person, pay attention here. And condition number three, you still have to understand that calories are king. Just because you're skipping a meal or two early in the day doesn't mean you can go over your calories and it's something magical. Now, I've done intermittent fasting several times while I've been cutting. I did it in college because I had classes. It's not something I've done for several days in a row because it makes me irritable personally. Sometimes I don't have an appetite in the morning, and I can subsist on black coffee until lunchtime, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. But now that I work from home and have a little bit more time to actually structure my meals, it's not really the best approach for me. My number one issue with intermittent fasting is how it's touted as a magical and superior option to normal diets. Just because you fast doesn't mean you're a better person than other people. It's not a better diet. Your overall calorie intake is still the number one factor here, and intermittent fasting can lead people to have an unhealthy relationship with diet or their food in general. And I say this because, let's just take the example. Your friend wants to go get an early lunch or just catch up. You might think it sounds cool to say, oh yeah, sounds good, but I'm not going to eat because I'm doing intermittent fasting. But if you're doing IF, eventually you realize that you're not always going to be able to eat at a certain period in your day or that it's not always practical to just skip a meal. The whole idea of trying to center your life around a fasting window sounds terribly inconvenient to me. Frankly, it can be a good option for some people, but understand that if you consume three 1,000 calorie meals on a normal diet or two 1,500 calorie meals while doing fasting, it's still the same result. The only difference is I've always noticed many people who do fasting are more anxious or more short-tempered. This is only in my personal experience and knowing people that do it, I'm not saying it applies to everyone, but I think it's common sense to say that if you're hungry for hours on end and you're not eating, you're probably going to be more irritable at least to start when you're doing this diet. I'm not telling you to starve yourself. I do think that fasting is an interesting diet choice and worth a shot if and only if you're in the right headspace for it. And finally, that brings me to the last dieting approach, one that I personally implement myself and the one that I'm going to throw my support behind, flexible dieting. This is my personal diet after years of trying just about everything. Now, what is flexible dieting? I always give people this breakdown. Flexible dieting is about not being obsessed with any extreme of any diet. 
it's understanding that you have to be at least 80% intentional about what you eat to achieve results. And that's an arbitrary number, but that's what I believe. It's also not about depriving yourself of anything that you like. I track my calories for the most part because I do bulking, I maintain, I cut, and I do bodybuilding stuff. I don't obsess over every last calorie, though, or every last macronutrient. I enjoy my life. I go out to eat every now and then, and I eat a cookie if I want a damn cookie. But I'm very calculated about much of my diet. No matter what, I try to have high protein at every meal. I don't eat a massive load of empty calories or saturated fats. I try my best to eat as clean as possible, but I do not beat myself up over anything. If I have a whiskey with dinner, it was a great whiskey. If I have a donut at home because my roommate brought home donuts, that's okay. You don't get fat from one donut, you don't get skinny from one salad. It takes a long time to develop your flexible dieting approach. Learning when you can say yes to foods that aren't necessarily in line with your strict goals versus exercising discipline and saying no. The point of flexible dieting is to allow you those yes options that other diets do not. You should be serious about your goals, but you should also understand that life exists and saying no to everything isn't necessary or practical for most people. All the dieting content that I put out on Instagram, this is what it comes from. I learned much about my flexible dieting approach from Jordan Syatt, and I plugged his name in the last podcast, but again, follow him if you don't. It's at Syatt Fitness, S-Y-A-T-T Fitness. Great guy, great approach. Many of the people in fitness that I look up to and admire, whether it's a trainer that I follow from my local gym to some of the most established fitness professionals like Jordan, they all follow some degree of flexible dieting in their approach. When I talk about dieting to people that aren't as informed, and maybe this is you listening to the podcast, this is ultimately what I try to push people towards. A diet that doesn't deprive you, and it teaches you how to know yourself. For me, most of my days start with a high-protein breakfast that I cook at home, and then most of the time, I cook lunch or dinner, and it's always about prioritizing high-protein. But let's say I want Chipotle for lunch one day, and not that Chipotle isn't high-protein, but theoretically, just say you want to go out for lunch, get a sandwich or something. I'm definitely going to do that, because I know that in my approach, I can fit that into my macros and my goals. And this leads me to the last thing that I want to talk about in this podcast, and it's a principle about dieting that I named myself. It's called the bamboo principle. And no, we're not pandas, but the bamboo principle is something that I try and get people to understand when they ask me, can you give me a diet plan? Can you give me something that will bring me results? Because it's not just about a plan, it's not just about results, it's about your mentality. And let's start here. One of the most common and flawed beliefs that people have is the idea that you can outwork a bad diet. You can do two HIIT workouts a day and a bunch of cardio just so you can eat and drink whatever you want. I mean, most people start working out because they think, oh, well, I work out, I can eat whatever I want to. You cannot outwork a terrible diet, really. Embracing the fact that you can't eat like a teenager your entire life is the most significant change that must be made when you become an adult. If you're already there, congratulations, but keep listening because you can learn something new. 
Let's talk about energy again. Your body needs it and it comes in the form of calories. You know this because you are a cool person that paid attention during this entire podcast. And it's important to reiterate, you live by your diet or you die by your diet. Now let's talk some mental health here because calories are great, but we really need to talk about the approach. When the majority of people think of diet, they think of all the things they aren't allowed to have. Hell, we talked about all these diets in the beginning that seem to restrict you from something, from carbs, from processed foods, from dairy, from meats, whatever. I'm here to argue that unless you have a religion, a medical condition, or a sensitivity that prevents it, you can have any food that you want in moderation. And moderation means different things to different people. I'm a firm believer that restricting yourself 100% from anything in your diet will significantly increase the likelihood that you binge on that particular food or item, whatever it is, later. Or that you get so disgusted with your diet because you can't have whichever food it is you desire, and then you just hate yourself. This is why bodybuilders, they spend months dieting to look shredded on stage. But what a lot of people don't see from bodybuilders or competitors is the aftermath of being on that stage diet. And many bodybuilders, not all, but many, go on a long-term binge. They eat all the foods that they couldn't have during their prep. And they eat and they eat and they eat. And even some of the people that I admire most in bodybuilding, one of my personal role models, Christian Guzman, after his last summer shredding, dude went and ate like crap for like three months and gained 20, 30 pounds back. Like he looked really chubby in his face just from eating and eating and eating. And that's no disrespect to Christian at all. The guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to compete, but combined with the fact that he is starting another business and he's a very high profile business guy himself and he's doing all these competitions, like it all became too much. And just to get him back to a place mentally, he went on a long-term binge and he basically gained all the weight back that he lost from his prep. And not that you're not supposed to gain weight back from a prep, but bodybuilders often go in the extreme other direction once they deprive themselves for that period of time. And most of you listening probably aren't going to be bodybuilders, but I think the same principle can be applied to our general diets. Again, running to either extreme is not good for us. It's all about finding that balance. So what's balance? Is it having a cookie or two or that piece of pizza that you want occasionally so you don't feel the need to binge? Or is balance eating an entire sleeve of cookies or an entire pizza in one sitting? You know what the answer is here. A few cookies or a slice or two of pizza at lunch isn't going to throw you off track. And even if it does, even if you go over your calories or whatever, you can always get right back on track. A healthy relationship with food for some people can mean not choosing that pizza or that cookie. Now, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to do it. On the flip side of the coin, a healthy relationship for some people with their food can be choosing to have that slice of pizza or that cookie and having that moderation. So for some people, developing the relationship with their food can mean saying no, or it can mean saying yes. There is no wax on, wax off to dieting, and it all comes down to self-awareness. Simultaneously, it's important to understand that self-discipline is a critical component in fitness. 
yes, I embrace the, I can have whatever I want because in the long term, I make excellent choices. But this comes with understanding that you cannot always give in to your cravings. For me, I love all cookies. I do not cookie discriminate unless it's a raisin cookie. Please get that out of here. But anyways, this is part of self-awareness. I don't keep cookies in my house very often because I know that it's not in my nature to just have one cookie. I love cookies. I want to eat the whole sleeve with some milk and just completely destroy it. It's much harder to crave particular foods and binge on them when you don't have them at home. So when I know that I want to have cookies and I want to take the risk of, okay, you're going to eat three, four, five cookies, cool. Otherwise, I don't keep them around. This whole dieting thing is about ebbing and flowing with your desire versus your discipline. Discipline is choosing not to have what you want now to have something better later. You can't be so strict with yourself that you just eat foods that you hate or that don't taste good or whatever. Life is too short for all of that. But if you want to make progress, you have to restrain yourself to a point that is reasonable. For some of you, that's buying maybe less ice cream than you do now and eating less pizza. Maybe not completely cutting it out, but just saying, okay, I don't need this much ice cream or I don't need to eat this much pizza. For other people, it can be completely forgetting the notion that ice cream exists for a week or doing what I do. I'm just not going to buy cookies because I'm going to eat them all. It's all about self-awareness. And I say that our diets should be like bamboo, going back to the bamboo principle. Bamboo, in the wild, survives because it's solid in its foundation, yet it is able to bend without breaking. Much like bamboo, if you are too strict with your diet, like a solid piece of wood, eventually it will snap under pressure. But if you are too flimsy with your diet, if you're like this little infant tree sapling that just bends in the wind, great change will never take solid foundation. You're always going to be uprooted. Be like bamboo. Stand strong in the consistency in your diet, but don't be afraid to bend when life necessitates it. There is one secret sauce to fat loss, because that's a huge goal for so many people. Being in a calorie deficit. You can do what you want to do. Do keto, do intermittent fasting, do paleo, do bodybuilding and cheat meals, do flexible dieting, whatever. The important thing is that you prioritize your calories and your protein and you fill the rest in. And talking about filling in macronutrients, I want to talk about determining macros as the final tidbit in this podcast. And number one, protein is the ultimate hack. Most people don't consume nearly enough protein. And that's not just the bro bodybuilder and me talking. It's the most filling macronutrient, which makes it prime for having a lean physique because you're less likely to be hungry. But also, it is the key for muscle building. So no matter what you do in your diet, I highly recommend that you start with protein. See how your body reacts to increases in protein. Now, typically, I consume one gram for every pound of body weight. So I weigh 200 pounds, I eat at least 200 grams of protein per day or 800 calories worth. So we're talking about calories now and I want to teach you how to discover your caloric maintenance. It's not a perfect method and anything you use online isn't going to be perfect. But I think this method is a good starting method for many people. So take your body weight and multiply it times 12. 
That should put you close roughly to your maintenance, assuming you don't have freaky genetics or you don't exercise a ton already. So let's say that you determine that 2,000 calories is your maintenance and you weigh 160 pounds. And I recommended that we started with our protein first. This body weight thing is important to factor in. I would start at 0.7 to 1 gram per pound for your protein. So let's use 1 gram per pound because let's say you love protein. That's 160 grams of protein if you weigh 160 pounds, the equivalent of 640 calories. And we said that our maintenance is 2,000 calories. This leaves you 1,360 calories left to play with in your diet. Between that 1,360 calories, you have to factor in your carbs, your fats, and alcohol too if you're counting that. One of the most common splits is the 40-30-30 split. The 40% carb, 30% protein, 30% fat split in your calories is a common approach. Don't get caught up in all the splits and all the numbers because unless you're a strict bodybuilder, this crap really doesn't matter. But I want to use it for an example just to give you an idea of what a potential macro split would be. So let's rock with a 40-30-30. A 40-30-30 split for prioritizing protein intake would give you 213 grams of carbs, 160 grams of protein, and 71 grams of fat. And you may think, okay, well, I thought the protein and the fat was supposed to be equivalent. But we're not talking about the grams being equivalent, but the calories from the grams being equivalent. So 160 grams of protein at 4 calories per gram is the same amount of calories as 71 grams of fat at 9 calories a gram. Again, you can do less fat, more carbs, vice versa. And you don't have to eat one gram for every pound that you have. This is just the example and the approach that I'm talking about and that I like to apply to people that I talk with. Calories are king. And there are dozens of calorie calculators online for estimating your calorie intake. These are all going to vary based on different scientific methods, your activity level, your age, your sex, and other things too. But you, yes you, not some online calculator, you stepping on a scale and consistently weighing is the surefire way to figure out what your weight is going to do based on a certain calorie intake. It's not pretty, it's not fancy, but that's the best way it's going to work. And the sooner you can figure that out and become familiar and comfortable with the scale, the better off you're going to be. So just do it. Some things I want to acknowledge that we didn't cover in this podcast but are important to note is micronutrient intake as well. Your vitamins, your minerals, these things are critically underrated and underconsumed in the traditional American diet. Now, I highly recommend you doing your own research on it. There's plenty of research out there, more so than macronutrients. But your B vitamins, your calcium and potassium intake, your sodium balance, iron levels, intaking omega-3s, these are a few of many micronutrients that can have a major impact if they're out of balance or you're not consuming enough of them. Now, I didn't want to get into the minutia of micronutrients and all the other things that affect diet, but they are still important to any diet. I wanted to keep the scope of this podcast to my expertise and things that really hardcore affect body composition. Finally, diet is a huge part in recovery and rest. Diet and recovery are overlooked in the whole scheme of fitness. Contrary to popular belief, your body is not a machine. It's a living, breathing organism, and you have to take care of it if you're going to put it to the test. 
Understanding which diet approach works best for your goals is critical not only to maximizing your results, but also your long-term health. And that's really the great benefit of this whole fitness thing, right? So bringing it back to the grand scope of things, your diet isn't something to fear or overcomplicate. A diet is simply how you eat over an extended period of time. That's it. And if you leave with one thing from this podcast, let it be this. Eat for your goals and keep it simple. If there's anything that you want to talk about concerning your diet, your goals, your lifestyle, feel free to hit me up on Instagram at Austin Trey Goodwin. I'm always open to talking about what you're doing with your diet. And while no, I'm not an RD, I'm not a nutritionist, I don't have certifications, I just have experience with this stuff, I think it's important to understand that even professionals get this wrong. Just because somebody knows everything there is to know about nutrition or they've studied a lot of textbooks or even have certifications doesn't mean that they understand the behavioral science that goes into diet. And that's really one of the most critical things when it comes to figuring out your diet. It's not this or that, eat this or that, don't eat this or that. It's what can you do to sustain the best practical and personal approach to your own diet. And on that, I want to thank you for listening to episode five of the Always Gaining podcast. As always, if you like the podcast, if you like this episode, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to. I hope this brought you tons of value, and I'm always open to feedback, comments, criticisms, questions. You can hit me up on Instagram at Austin Trey Goodwin. Once again, thank you for listening, and have an amazing week. Amazing week.